Good morning and welcome to worship at Kern Church. My name is Will and I'm the pastor here. It's a joy to be with you all in worship. If you're joining with us online, I want to say a special word of welcome to you this day as well. Here at Kern Church, we're committed to, to creating belonging and hope by connecting you to a life renewed by Jesus and deeply committed to other people. And my hope for you today is that you experience that. You really experience that as we worship God and as we grow together in faith. Let me offer a word of prayer this morning as we continue to worship God. God, thank you so much for this day, for your blessings. I pray that as your church worships you here at Kern, that your spirit is lifted up, that you are enriched, and that you open the hearts of each one to receive what you have for them to receive. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Friends, today we are in the, the final, the final um, message, the final sermon of our July message series called Family Feud, where we have been looking at one of the most dysfunctional families in the Bible, and um, I hope you've seen some of their dysfunction and maybe feel a little bit better about your own family's dysfunction in the midst of it. Um, but as we've been doing this, I, what I want to do today is I just kind of want to tell you this story, and this isn't really how their story ends so much uh, because it's kind of a to be continued, but maybe that's for season two, right? And so for, for this first season, for this first time, I want to just kind of tell you this, the next part of the story and to see what we can learn, you and I can learn in the midst of it. Now, if you haven't been through with us through most of, through most of July, it's okay. I just want to kind of briefly recap of, of where this story has been and where we are going in the story. So it began with, with two people who were, who were married, uh, two people by the names of, of Isaac and Rebecca. They met in kind of an odd way, if you might remember, if you were here. Uh, but they met and they were married and then they had twin sons. And these twin sons were named Jacob and Esau, and, and Jacob and Esau were the huge sibling rivalries. They had, they had, hopefully their sibling rivalry is worse than your sibling rivalries, because one of the brothers wanted to kill, um, kill the other one. It got so bad that it wanted to kill the other brother. And then last week we explored what happened when the, when the brother that was under threat, Jacob, was trying to kind of run from his, run for his life and to get out of town so that he could be, he could be safe and at least survive. And, and then what happened in the midst of his running is that he had to take some time to rest. And when he rest, God blessed him with a sense of, of new focus and repurpose in his life. And then later on, um, what we're not going to get into, but later on, it's important to know that Jacob and Esau will find forgiveness with each other and will find a sense of reconciliation, even though they don't become best buddies. But they, but they do find some reconciliation in their lives. And so today, though, um, I don't want to go that far ahead of time. What I want to do is I want to continue on with Jacob's story just a, a little bit and to see what happened when he tried to start a family, to see what happened when Jacob tried to start a family. And, and what is kind of ironic about this is, is that Jacob has always been someone who, who was engaged in trickery and deception. And what you find in the midst of him trying to start a family is that he's the one that gets played in trickery and deception. 
deception. And, and while um, this is a story, I think about love and I think about what well, is a story about marriage, it's also a story that doesn't follow um, our modern sensibilities about what it takes to fi- build a good marriage. This is not a story that, that, that follows along like you know, popular dating advice in the 21st century. It's not a story of, of how you probably met your spouse and what it takes to start a family. Uh, because there is trickery, there's coercion, and there's unsavory things that happen in the midst of it. So as, so as I share this story with you, uh, you can probably find a multitude of lessons on how to not live as a family in the, midst, in the midst of it. However, in the midst of the trickery, in the midst of the deceit, in the, in the midst of all that is, is, is displayed in this story, I think you will find one, one more thing. And the thing that I think you will find comes from Jacob. And, and, and in Jacob, I, I think that we see, and maybe this was the time when God um, helped him refocus in the midst of his rest, but Jacob grew and matured. And, and what I think you'll see in Jacob is that love lived out in service wins. That love lived out in service wins. So, so let's, let's take a look. If you want to follow along in your own Bible, I'm going to be looking at Genesis chapter 29. And uh, Genesis, it's the first book in the Bible. It's the first book in the Bible that tells the relationship and tells about how God began forming humanity and some of the, some of the foundational stories of the Jewish faith and of, of, of the Christian faith are found in the book of Genesis, of how God called imperfect people to do things that are powerful, to live in a new way, to share about God's kingdom and the love of God. And today we're going to look at one of these very imperfect people, a guy by the name of Jacob. So if you were with us last week when we discovered the importance of rest and, and of, how, of how God gave Jacob refocus and recharge and, and a new purpose, today's story and what I'm about to read happens the next morning. So, so Jacob had this big vision from God and, and God blessed him in a very powerful way. And then the next morning he got up and started on his journey. And this is what we read here in in chapter 29, verse 1, that Jacob got to his feet after after sleeping and set out for the land of the Easterners. Now, I find it very hard um, to to get to my feet after waking up um, without coffee and the things that I do first. And so uh, we had a, a, a full, I had a full weekend this past week. This past weekend, we had a big hike a church hike, and we had a big pool party, and then I had a neighborhood block party to attend to, uh, to, to participate in this, this weekend. And so my weekend has been full, and I found it very hard to, to wake up and to put my feet on the ground this morning. Um, that's not really important, I guess. I'm just wishing I had more coffee right now. But I can only imagine Jacob having this vivid dream in the middle of the night, and then, and then he just sets up and starts going. And so he's traveling east, He's traveling to Haran, and, and, and this is where his, his, his family lives. I mean, this is where his family is from. This is where his mom is from. So his, his mom is from there, and uh, she's going, he's going to go visit his uncle, a guy by the name of Laban. And when he arrives, he sees that there's a well there, and there's some sheep and some shepherds that are just kind of hanging around, and, and evidently there's a, a lot of activity kind of happening at this well. 
approaches someone and is like, hey, do you know my uncle? You know, I'm kind of new to town. Do you, do you know my uncle, this guy named Laban? And everyone there knew him. And then Jacob asked, well, if you know him, how's he doing? Is he, is he doing okay? And, and here's what they say in verse 6. They said, he's fine. In fact, this is his daughter, Rachel, now coming with the flock. So then they have a little bit of conversation, and, and, and they, they, they see, uh, perhaps Jacob sees Rachel coming down with, with sheep, and, and he, he sees her for the first time from a, a ways off. And they have a little bit of, of conversation about how to best care for animals, uh, of how they should, you know, the proper way to care for animals, the best way to do it, and how to get them water. And then as they are talking, Laban's daughter Rachel, she, uh, she starts to come down and come close to the well. And we read about this in verse 9. While he was still talking to them, that's Jacob, Rachel came with her father's flock, since she was its shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his uncle, and the flock of Laban, or Jacob came up, rolled the stone from the well's opening, and watered the flock of his uncle Laban. So what happens is, is, is he's trying to be helpful. He sees this, this woman coming up with all these sheep, and, and it's, his, it's his, um, his uncle's daughter, his cousin, right? I mean, that would be first cousin. So he's like, they're going to get married later on. Um, You know, generally it's not a good idea to marry your first cousin these days. So this is part of like the, you know. But, but that's, uh, you know, what I, I'm not one to judge, I guess. And, and, um, and, and so, uh, so he, he's trying to be helpful and he's trying to be helpful in the midst of it. And then in verse 11, we read that, that Jacob kissed Rachel and wept allowed. I mean, that's really dramatic. Uh, like, he meets this woman who's his cousin, and maybe this is like the friendly greeting kiss of like the Near East, and, and, and they just, but I don't know why, why Christ. I, that's, that's like lost to me. Maybe he's like, okay, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm here with family and I'm safe once and for all. So, so Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud, and Jacob told Rachel that he was related to her father and that, that he was Rebecca's son. Rebecca is is Jacob's mother, who is the brother of uh, Rachel's, uh, or the sister of Rachel's father. And then she ran to tell her father. So, so Jacob's come to this place. He's fleeing for his life from, from his, his family, and he meets this nice girl, and, and he, he hopes that like, like part of the purpose here is to start a family. And so he's probably thinking in the midst of this, you know, maybe something's going to happen. Maybe there's a spark here. Maybe, maybe something is, is, like, is going to happen. So he kisses the girl, and, and it's probably like a greeting kiss, and then he, he cries for some odd reason, and, 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 and then they get to the house. So Rachel goes to tell her father what's going on, and, and Jacob goes along, goes along for the ride. Jacob goes along for the ride. What happens is that Jacob... Jacob gets welcomed into the household. So, so it's hospitality, which is a big theme in the ancient world in the East. And so, so Jacob is welcomed into the family, and he's part of the family, really. So he starts working for Laban, for his uncle, and, and helping out. And um, you know, maybe at first they're thinking he's going to stay for a few days or a few weeks, but, but he ends up staying for over a month. And then when the month comes around, Laban realizes that, that Jacob is sticking around for at least an extended period of time. And 
And when he realizes this, he wants to make right by Jacob because he doesn't want him just working for free. And so in verse 15, we read what happens next. So Laban said to Jacob, you you shouldn't have to work for free just because you're my relative. Tell me what you would like to be paid. I mean, that's great. You know, he he doesn't want him to have to to feel like he's a slave in his own house, his own family's extended household, and and he wants to be able to be paid something. And now we read what comes next in verse 16. Now, the the Bible says, or Genesis says, Laban had two daughters. The older was named Leah and the younger Rachel. Leah had delicate eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure, and and she she was good looking. Now, I think that this, 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 this whole Leah had delicate eyes is some type of slight that's missed on us. It's like, you know, bless her heart, she was, you know, kind of nice, or she had a good personality. I, it's like some type of slight that's been given to this older daughter, Leah, but, but um, we know that Jacob is interested in the younger daughter, Rachel, who we're told has a beautiful figure. She is she is good-looking and at least uh, somebody that attracts Jacob's interest. And so we read in verse 18 that Jacob loved Rachel and said to her dad, I will work for you for seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. So I don't need to be paid anything. In fact, for you for seven years. And then after those seven years, all I want to do is marry, marry Rachel, this, this woman, this young woman that I'm following in love with. And, and Laban, the, the uncle, said, well, I'd rather give her to you than any other man, so why don't you stay with me? And, and Jacob worked for Rachel for seven years, but it seemed like a few days because he loved her. Now, Jacob had already spotted Rachel on the first day he was in town, and I think she caught his eye. And so when Laban asked what, what should be paid, Jacob knows what he wants. He wants to marry Rachel. And so that's what he asked for. And, and earlier I mentioned about how this story doesn't really pass the smell test when it comes to our modern sensibilities uh, because basically Laban has offered to sell his daughter, right? He has offered to sell his daughter for seven years worth of wages. And this, of course, is, is hopefully what not doesn't happen today. Hopefully people aren't selling their daughters into to marriage on a regular basis. But in the ancient world, it was custom for the groom some type of price to the father of the bride. And so this was a bride price that would be paid, but Jacob is fleeing for his life. He didn't have anything to pay. And so he offers, offers to work, offers to work um, for these seven years to be allowed to marry her. But also another thing that comes up is Rachel isn't even consulted in the matter. So, so like whatever the case is going, Rachel isn't consulted. But we get this idea that that Jacob stays and Jacob works. And as they're working these seven years, a love is being formed between Jacob and Rachel. And I think we see that because because Jacob, it it reflects that he worked for seven years, but it seemed like just a few days. Because when you're in love, time just flies and it's, it's meaningless. And so they're, they're, they're this, have this new love that's growing in their lives. Time doesn't matter. And and they're continuing to go closer to one another, closer in love throughout this, throughout this time. Then after seven years, we learn in verse 21 that Jacob said to Laban, 
The time has come. Give me my wife so that I may sleep with her. He just gets to the point. He's like, I need, you know, anyway, so we'll stop there. But like he gets to the point and he, he's ready to get married. And so he, he, tells, he tells the dad, like, like let's, let's do this. Let's, let's get this wedding over with. And so I can start my family with my new bride. And, and, and so what happens is that Laban decides to invite all, all the people of that place to prepare a banquet. This is a wedding feast. They're going to have a huge celebration because the daughter is going to get married and they're going to celebrate and then Jacob and, and Rachel can start, can start their family. However, we read, in the evening, after, after, in the evening after the banquet, Laban took his daughter Leah, not Rachel, and brought her to Jacob and he slept with her. So Jacob thinks he's marrying Rachel, but somebody else shows up in his room and they become the ones who are married. I mean, this is all like really delicate. After seven years of working for the, to marry the love of his life, the time has finally come for the wedding. And so the wedding happens and Laban deceives Jacob and Laban sends his older daughter uh, Leah to Jacob and said, I mean, can you imagine? Like, let's just assume that Rachel also wants to marry. Like the, 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 the sibling rivalry between Leah and Rachel and, and the deception and, and like, I'm sorry, but like if another, anyways, like you could get really in trouble talking about this stuff. But like if another woman shows up after the wedding, you would think that you would know, but the banquet must have been so good and the drinks flowing so much that, that Jacob is snockered out of his brains where he can't think. He's so drunk. I mean, how else do you explain this? I mean, he, he's been drinking and he, he's not clear-headed. And the other thing that happens in the, the ancient world, there's no electricity. So they can't even turn on the lights to see what things look like. In fact, the rooms would have been smoky with, with, with like oil lamp soot in it. And, and I'm sure they had really good lung health as they breathed in the particulate matter from their, from their, their, their oil lamps. And, and so, so he's not clear-headed and he can't really, really see too much. And, and he, he sleeps not with the woman that he loves, but with her sister. I mean, anyways, this is in the Bible. And this is no accident on the part of Laban, the dad. And, and it's kind of laughable, um, but Jacob doesn't even realize that this has happened until the next morning. I mean, can you imagine what breakfast must be like? You come down to drink your, your, your coffee and you're like, oh, what a beautiful night. I, I maybe drank a little bit too much last night, but we're married and we can start our family. And, and you, you sit down to the breakfast table and here comes down your new bride and she looks different. This isn't the woman I married. I mean, that's what's going on here. And, and, and he's like, what has happened? And so he confronts his now father-in-law and says, what have you done to me? What have you done to me? I promised I was going to, you promised that I would, I, would, I would marry Rachel for this work. And the father-in-law, he doesn't care. He's like, well, it's kind of our custom here um, uh, that, that the older daughter has to get married before the younger daughter. So I'm sorry, but like I tricked you and, and so what? Um, uh, so congratulations. But they make another deal that Jacob can marry Rachel the next week if he promises to work for an additional seven years. So um, at this point, Jacob has a choice to make. He, 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 through his whole life up until this point, he has been the one who has deceived others. He deceived his father. He deceived his brother. He has been the one full of trickery and deceit. And he could have 
easily responded to his father-in-law in a multitude of ways. He could have responded in, in rage and started to plot his revenge. I mean, he was tricked into doing something he didn't want to do. He, he could have talked to Rachel and, and tried to figure out what it would take for them to sneak off together and to go elope and to just start a family on, on their own. I mean, if this story was told or written today, I mean, that's probably what would have happened. They would have just gone off and, you know, done their own thing, gone to Vegas and, and, and started a, a new life and, uh, you know, and, and getting married in Vegas and trying to forget that the first marriage even happened. Um, but that's not what happened. That's not what happened. But instead, instead, Jacob is reminded of the most important thing here. And in his heart, the most important thing is that he loves Rachel. He's reminded that he loves Rachel. He loves her. He wants to be with her. He wants to marry and for the past few years, he has been on the run for his life, and he doesn't want to run anymore. And so, so because he loves, he makes a decision that he is going to live out his love in service. He's going to live out his love in service. And you see, loved lived out in service, it wins. So Jacob swallows his pride. We read about what happened in, in next in verse 28 and how he responded. So that's what Jacob did. He completed the celebratory week with this woman. He didn't even call her by her name, this woman. Okay? Then Laban gave his daughter Rachel as his wife. Laban had given his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her servant, and then Jacob slept with Rachel, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. He worked for Laban seven more years. Now, as you can imagine, there are more problems that this situation creates. So, so now, Jacob is married to two women. Um, how do you say, like, I mean, I don't even know how to say things, like, in a, in a way that doesn't get me in trouble. But, like, he's married to two women, and, and, and these two women, they're at odds with each other. And, and later on, it's going to cause jealousy and all sorts of issues that you can imagine Jacob doesn't love Leah, and, and yet he, they still have to be married to each other because of the customs of society. And, and so, so Rachel, he loves Rachel. But for now, Jacob has just decided that he is going to, to live the way of love and to live out love in service. And living out love in service wins. Love lived out in service, it wins. I mean, this is especially true in relationships inside family, and it's especially true in relationship with your spouse. If you're married, or if, you, if you've been married in life, you, you, might, you might really realize that this, that, that love lived out in service, it's what wins. It's what wins. Adam Hamilton is a United Methodist pastor, and he wrote a book called a book about marriage called Love to Stay. And in this book, he shares a powerful story about a time when, when he discovered how love is not just an emotion, especially in dealing with your spouse and your relationships with those you love, that love is something that really has to be lived out in service. And I don't usually share this much from someone else, 
Uh, but this story, I think, really captures this type of love. And so I just want to read it to you and just share with you some of, of Adam's story in this. So Adam is, is the husband and, and, and his wife, Levon, they're new parents to a young daughter, six-month-old daughter named Danielle. And Adam's in school at this time. He's in seminary training to be a pastor. And his wife is working full-time to support him and now also has a brand new baby at home. So Adam writes... I remember lying there one Saturday morning, looking across the bed at Levon and realizing I didn't love him anymore. And that feeling terrified me. I remember thinking, what does this mean? Now, I was a trooper. I was in it for the long haul, going to treat her with love, but I didn't feel love. I didn't feel anything. I told two of my buddies, I guess this is what they mean when they talk about the honeymoon being over. And I thought, like, like so many people in that situation think, that this was going to be that way forever. That love was going to be lost forever. I thought the spark, the magic, the passion would never return. That I would spend the rest of my life going through the motions. And it was a depressing thought. And I learned that Levon, his wife, felt the same way. One night, three or four months later, I was working late on a paper and Levon had already gone to bed. And as I worked, I found myself grieving the loss of love we had felt. I mean, maybe you felt that way before. The grieving the loss of love that you felt for a, a spouse or, or something that's grown cold in life. And, and, and he said that during this time that, that I felt a nudging, which I usually take to be the work of the Holy Spirit. And I heard these words, get up and go buy her flowers. I don't think so, I, I thought. I mean, he had a paper. I don't understand this. Like, he's in school. He's a, he's a young dad. He's got a paper to finish. He's under a deadline. But he hears this, this prompting from what he thinks is the Holy Spirit to go buy flowers for his wife that, that he really has a hard time loving right now. Um, he said, I don't think so. Then he heard it again. Get up and buy her flowers. I heard it three times, Adam writes. And so eventually he relented and, and, and says, fine. So he writes that he pulled on his sweatpants, got in the car, and drove to the 24-hour grocery down the road. I got a dozen flowers and walked to the cash register. And as I stood in line, I felt this little nudge, go get her a card. Okay, fine, he writes. I got a card, got back in line, paid for both, and went home. I thought, what can I write in this card? Thanks for nothing? It's hard. As bad as it sounds, that's what I thought. All the magic had been drained from my relationship, and then I, I felt another nudge. He writes, bless her with your words. What can I say, I thought, that could bless her and still be true? He doesn't want to lie, but he wants to bless. And Slowly, he writes, that words began forming, and here's what he wrote. Dear Levon, thank you for being such a great mom to Danielle. And then, thank you for working full-time so that I can go to seminary. Thank you for carrying more than your share of the load around the house. It was getting easier, he writes, as, as he was continuing to write this card. Thank you for, for putting up with me when I'm a jerk. Uh, that's something that I think all husbands could probably write. Thank you for the way you smiled at me the other day and how your eyes lit up. Then he writes... You do love until you feel love. 
Each phrase, each thought came a little more readily to my mind and to my pen uh, until by the time I had finished writing that note, I felt, I, I, I felt something I hadn't felt in a year, a hint, a hint of a love that I had lost. I began getting a sense of what I was supposed to do, and it was then that I discovered the mission of marriage. It wasn't for me to feel happy and in love. The mission of marriage, he writes, it wasn't for me to feel happy and in love. The mission of marriage was for me to bless my wife, and so I began trying to find little ways that I could bless her, and she even began doing the same for me. And three or four months later, I was lying in bed one Saturday morning, and I looked over her, and I thought, I am so in love with you. Now, Adam says, you do love until you feel love. And that's what it means to live out love in service. That's what it means to, to live out love in service. And when you live out love in service, love wins. When you do love, when you, you, you will feel love because love lives in service, it wins at the end of the day. I'm going to share with you one more thing that Adam writes about when he says this. He says, we, we have this idea that first you fall in love and then it naturally follows that you do loving things. But in marriage, it tends to work the opposite way. First, you do loving things because as a Christian and a married person, you're called to do them. Then, when you persistently do loving things towards somebody, eventually you feel You do love until you feel love. And when it is difficult to feel love, and this is really important, when it's difficult to feel love, the trick is to hold on to hold on because you, you have this knowledge that it will get better and to not do anything stupid in the meantime. A lot of people do a lot of stupid things in the meantime of waiting for things to get better. But the trick is to hold on, do love with the knowledge that it will get better. You know, when I think about Jacob in, in our story, I am sure that, that doing love and living love um, in, in service was the last thing he wanted to do was the last thing he wanted to do when his father-in-law tricked him, when he had realized what had happened. But he did it. He did it. And his family became complex, and, and eventually he became successful, and eventually he, he won in some type of mediated way at the end because love lived out in service. I mean, Jacob wins through love lived out in service, and his family grows. Before Jacob leaves his father, father-in-law's house, and that story is a bit suspicious too. So like you can keep reading on in Genesis 30 if you want to you catch more of these details. But before he leaves, the writer of Genesis tells us in Genesis chapter 30 verse 43 that the man Jacob became very, very rich. He owned large flocks, uh, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. I mean, he, he won at the end of the day. He became wealthy. He, his family was enriched when he first made it to Laban's household, when, when he had been deceived on his wedding night, Jacob could have never imagined this result. I mean, he didn't have anything to speak of at the time. But loved lived out in service. It wins. It wins. So in light of this, when you consider your own family, when you consider the complexities of relationships that you deal with, maybe the complexities of relationships you deal with with your spouse and, and days when things seem more difficult than, than others, my encouragement for you is to live love. 
to live love out in service. Because love lived out in service to others wins. Be love to others. Do love towards others because love lived out in service. At the end of the day, it wins. Let's pray. God, I thank You for this example of how of how love lived out in service really does win. I pray blessings upon all the relationships here this day, that You open hearts to, to respond in ways that are, that are generous to one another, that You would help, help those who listen to these words to respond in service to others out of concern and out of love. And, and if, there is, if there are those in this room or those that are joining us online who, who are in relationships, especially married, Relationships where they just feel as if love is not there. Or they just feel like they're going through a particularly hard time right now. God, I pray for them. I pray that You will bless their relationships. I pray that you would, you would convict in their hearts to live love out through service. And to see what can happen in the midst. Because love lived out through service. God, it wins. Amen. God's grace is enough, and I, and I pray that God's grace falls upon you this day, that you're filled with a sense of grace and love to live love out in service. Go with the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.